Hey, what's up, guys? Lucas Burnley here. You're listening to the Edge and Flow podcast. Just sat down with my co-host, TJ Schwartz, who is very excited today. I can see it and I can hear it in his voice. Um, but we're going to start. We're going to follow up on our goals from last week, I think, before we we dig into whatever it is you're, you're grinning about. Okay. Goals. Yeah, what were they? Good. Well, my goal was to machine a bevel on the Overland on the new machine on the Sile. And I don't know if it'll come through on the podcast, but one is running right now in the background. I can hear it through my sheetrock. But I got like five of them machined. So I I got a plus one. I didn't plus. finish it last week. So I got one point out of, out of two. So the question <laughs> is, did you complete yours this week? So I did not. Um, okay. So ongoing. I actually... I'm going to, I'm going to still call it a success because I've like modified my plan. Okay. Uh, my plan was that I was going to try to finish the five Quikens that I was working on. Mm -hmm. Um, that was part of a plan that I was just going to try to make sure that I finished five folders every month. Mm -hmm. And I think what I'm seeing is right now I'm going to modify the plan slightly to just make sure that I always have five folders in progress. Nice. Cool. Um, so yeah, they're, they're really close. I've got, I just finished ground the blades today. I'm tumbling parts. Um, but I'll have a little bit of time in assembly. I'm always messing with stuff too, as I do yeah. models, like I'll bend clips a different way or yeah. slows me down. Continual improvement, continual improvement. So yeah. sometimes I have to slap my wrist when it comes to improvements though. Yeah. Cause I'll like try to reinvent the wheel maybe too many times and yes. be like, wait, just freaking do it, dude. Just do it. It's tying into the yeah. maker manager thought process mm-hmm. too. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I've been pretty good lately. I'm like, all right, I saw a modification that I wanted to make in my grinding room, but I forced myself to not do it. I just wrote it yeah. down and kept on working. Yeah. No, that's so, smart. Yeah. It's painful yeah. though. I'm like, I just want to, just want to build a little fixture. I like right. it's a little tooling arm. I was like, man, that'd be really yeah. handy. I, that always gets me with feeds and speeds too on a, on a CNC machine. Cause yeah. I'm always like, you know, that one program, I could change that helix angle a little bit. And then it's pretty soon you you get like two parts done in a day because every time you run a, a operation, yeah. you change it. And it's like, well, eventually you just got to start throwing carbide at it and just saying that's good enough. Yeah. Best practice. Like yeah. how many parts do you make before you modify? Yeah. Right. For All sure. right. So Okay, so that's like a 50% split today. You accomplished your goal. I did not. Dang. Well, yeah, so I guess we're kind <laughs> of at a we're kind of at a one one point out of two for both of us, I guess. Oh wait, because yours ran long. Right? My, did you no, you hit your timeline? Last week I didn't get I didn't get a point. Okay. I, right. I didn't okay. do it. I didn't finish it. So right. okay. that was but the scalpels. Okay. But, All right. But uh but no, I like I said, I'm 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 smiling because I'm listening to my machine run in the background, which the reason that feels good is I spent three weeks, four weeks flipping parts every minute to six minutes for those scalpels. And uh, we talked about it at length on the podcast, but it was deadly to the uh, to the mindset that I had. It didn't feel good. It sucked. Kind of hated life. And now I can listen to my machine run and I can be on a podcast and it feels a lot better. All is right so, with the world. Yeah, so depending on how I tweak the bevel, because the bevel is m- the main majority of the actual machine time. Yep. It depending on how I tweak that, it could be like between thirty and forty-five minutes per knife is what it's looking like total for the finished knife. And so I'm 
right now it's like 32 minutes. I'm liking it. I Wait, think I'll stick there. That's fully done. That's both bevels, profiling, everything. Everything. Chamfers. And yeah. are you you're running like a multi uh stage fixture. So yeah. it, every water, process it like moves through. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So water jet blank, that's surface ground, goes in. And every time I hit cycle start, I've got a finish knife, quote unquote finish, done machining, and a a new jet a new water jet blank goes in. Goes so, in. Yeah. And what is that cycle flow. time? 32 minutes right now. Like if I ran the exact same speeds and feeds that I ran on the Tormach, it'd probably only be like 22 minutes. But because the machine is so much faster and more rigid, I'm pursuing like a a little bit better finish on the bevels even yet. And so because it's so much faster, I can afford to to make it do more, basically more step overs. Right. And so I'm trying to figure out where the new balance is with the new machine. Because one thing I've found is the finer stepovers obviously give you better finishes. That's just obvious. But the only problem with that is the if you think about the cutter, it it only like no matter what the stepover is, there's a certain number of passes that each cutter can do. Right. So in a weird way, when you do a more coarse stepover, the tool actually lasts longer, which can be a little counterintuitive. Right. Because it's making less cuts. You know what I mean? Right. So the only problem is if I go super fine on the step over, I'm not too worried about the cycle time, but the tool takes like three times as many cuts. And so it wears out, you know, three times faster. Right. And, and so it's it, more, it's more spindle time yeah. too. So here's like, this is a game versus the gain, right? Like the argument can be made that probably the cost of the carbide and mill doesn't really matter. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's like redlining, right? So you're mat, you're doing everything at the utmost. You're, you're running the spindle as much as you possibly can. And you're running your end mills more or as much as you possibly can. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way that I would question that, I guess, is like, what does that shave off of your hand finishing time? That's what I'm going to attest. So I've got two, I haven't done any stoning on these new blades, like hand stoning. So I've got a couple sitting out there on the bench that I'll look at tomorrow morning in stone. And yeah. there are a couple different feeds and speeds. And I'll see if there's not like a noticeable difference in how much stoning time, then I'll go on a little bit more on the course side on the step over. Yeah. So there's, you know, it's just like your typical data analysis. You got a, a curve that intersects, two different curves that intersect and right. one's uh, step over and one's the amount of time it takes me to stone it. And so, yeah, I'll chase that a little bit. I chased it a lot on the Tormach, but this machine is just a different beast, you know, so that whole formula changed. And so that's a good thing. Very it's good. better yeah, at the end exciting. of the day. And uh, I changed all, everything. I, you know, it's a new fixture with some new clamping going on. It's got a new tool holder, which should have less run out. It's a hydraulic tool holder, which should have less vibration, more dampening. It's a bigger spindle, a faster rapid, like everything changed, you know. So, but what I did find is the, I love the Pearson. I put the Pearson fixed pallet fixture on there. Honestly, those things are worth their weight in gold. Yeah. Like I think I paid 1500 bucks for it. I'd probably pay 15,000, maybe not literally, but like it all of a sudden made me feel like everyone should have one of these. It was such a good, a good value proposition. I have a, like a Jergens fixture base plate on my mill. Mm -hmm. Um, The Pearson wasn't an option when I bought that. Mm-hmm. It was, it's 5,000. I think I paid $5,000 for the base plate. Mm-hmm. So Pearson really, I mean, similar to style, man. It's like a crazy value proposition, especially for our size shop. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's pretty cool. I actually, the, uh, my buddy Keaton just loaned me. He's got, he had one of the small. That's what I've got. Uh, yeah. So the MPS. with the sink, with like the single. Yeah. It's a single hold down, like yep, ball bearing hold down, hold down with yep. two locating pins and two locating pads. Yep. So I have the same one as you do. I haven't set it up yet. Um, but it, he loaned it to me to try out. Yeah. I'm excited. I, I think it, I think it's going to, I think it's just as good as the full size one in yeah. a lot of ways because the big one still has the same amount of location feature going on. Yeah. It's identical locating. The difference is it's got double the hold down, right. which why that matters is for li- if you were to cut like a big casting with a long tool, right. you don't want to lift the pallet. Like there's right. only a certain amount of hold down force. And I don't think Not nice we could, problems. yeah, I don't think we could generate enough force for that to matter. I just saw a third so. variable in your, in your proposition. Okay. Um, Toolware, obviously. So toolware, but as it relates to hand finishing. So mm. I would almost say it's like you would have to run, you'd have to run your step over to the point of toolware mm-hmm. and hand finish to see that if when the tool was worn, if that one, say you pulled off one knife at the end and that one knife could blow out your time savings because of the toolware based mm. on the step over. That's a good point. The only thing is because I'm stoning it soft, I can blow through almost anything that, that comes out of the mill. And that's why I was running it so fast on the Tormach is I did kind of find that like even a coarse step over and even a dull tool, I could blow right through it with a stone on a kneeled steel. So you're probably, there's probably a margin where you actually, you're running like 80% of capacity or something. Right. You, you like actually have a visible step over. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It stones out at the same rate. Yeah, exactly. Close to you. But what I found is my fear is we're talking a 12 thou edge and even yeah. a little less. And if the tool's dull, what you get is stress right. in that. And that's I'm worried that because it has to then go to heat treat, that I'd get a warp on that 12 thou edge if the tool gets too dull. Yep. So in reality, if it wasn't such a thin thing, like if I was surfing a, a, some kind of block of steel that right. wasn't thin, you could go a lot longer, but I just, I'm weary of getting too greedy with the carbide. Where does your brain then, kick into thin? What's that? So where does your brain differentiate like thin? If you think a, thin, a thin so, edge. yeah, what's, so if it's not thin, if so 12 thousands is thin, at what point would you just be surfing like a big chunk of steel? Eighth of uh, I mean, if it, I'm just thinking if it wasn't a knife, I guess is my thought. Like if it I was, was a mold, like a mold cavity for... Right injection molding so supported yeah supported on the sides do you do you support the back side of the blade yeah so on the old fixture i it worked amazingly and i would do it again this way but on the old fixture on the front side there's no tabs on the knife so it's just a free floating tip but on the front side i just machine it obviously the back side you get the overhang that needs support what i did on the old fixture is i poured epoxy on the fixture and then uh, took a the knife that had just had the front bevel done. I oiled it with like gun oil essentially and laid it in the epoxy and then bolted it down and let it dry overnight. So the knife would just come off the dry epoxy because of the oil and you have like a negative of the exact mm-hmm. shape of it, which is amazing because it's like, it's perfect. You know, right. it's the exact shape. Uh, the only thing is uh, this morning I was like, I need to, do, that was the last thing I needed to do this, to this fixture this morning. And I wanted to start running bevels. And I was like, well, I've got a big pile of scrap Delrin. I, if I poured the epoxy, it'd be literally, literally no labor 
but I would have to wait like 24 hours to get this thing running. Or I could pocket it out, machine the Delrin insert on the Tormach, put the insert in, surface it on the sile, and then be good to go. And that took me like an hour and a half. And so it was more labor, but it saved me from the dry time. So like and the epoxy robust system. Yeah, it's I, it's replaceable and stuff. Yeah. I mean, the epoxy lasted for honestly hundreds of knives. Sure. And if it ever wore out, you just deck, you machine it right off the top and then pour it again if you need it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just thought about it. I was like, yeah, I could just machine a little practice. I like that, I like that solution better. Yeah. Just, it seems more, I don't know, it seems more thought out, like yeah, cleaner. So that's what I did. It works perfect. Nice. It, I ran like five bevels that today off of that setup with the Delrin insert and I just super glued it in. And then I have the pocket program. I machined a pocket in the aluminum uh-huh. fixture. So I'll just run when it wears out, I'll run a, that same program. Right. So it'll machine the Delrin away, disappear, right. put a new one in. Love so, it. yeah, so it, so it worked cool. really good. So it, hold, it supports the whole edge from basically choil to tip. Yep. And it just, it, I surfed it with the exact same kind of reverse pattern of the backside of the blade. So it just touches it. I mean, I've seen various makers do that and it works perfectly fine. In the next knife, I might do a tab on the tip, but it's kind of like two do, two half dozen of one, one dozen of the other. It's sure. like if you, if you put a, a tab on the tip, you have to mill the tab off after the bevel's right. complete, which or is like a vibration. It yeah. It's like a, either a vibration problem or your yep. hand grinding. Uh, but it's probably even more rigid, the way that so you're doing, like you're doing, it works. It, you're losing an entire step. Like you don't yeah. have it. it if works. it works on the next model, it's yeah. like, I would address it after the fact. It's I'll say this. It, it is not enough to do what I'm doing. If you're hard milling, you do right. need a tab for hard milling because it's just too much tool pressure at the tip. Even like with Delrin, it's just, it, it'll push it. It'll still deflect. I actually am trying something hard milling, but it's manual. Nice. Manual. Let's see if it works. Yeah, manual. <laughs> What's that? I'm I'm playing with hard milling my lock faces on the blade. Mm. We'll nice. see if it works. I've done one, but I haven't truly fitted. I was like, huh, I wonder if this would work. So basically, I have an angle fixture set up on my mill, mm. um, and it this is very much like knife maker engineering. I just ran my yeah. mill fast with a carbide end mill, and I was like kept speeding it up till it stopped chattering and nice. it seems like it seems like it's working so well, cool so how yeah. is the mill how is the tool oriented to the to the tang so it would be it would create a flat lock face but with so, the end or with yeah, the side cutting of the end, with though? the end so i yeah. tried it with the side first because i was curious mm-hmm. um obviously cutting with the side you're going to get a lot more flex mm-hmm. um i was not getting as clean of a finish as cutting with, with the, the end of the mill. Yeah. Cutting with yeah. the side didn't. So it's kind of, I don't know, six of one, half dozen of the other. I think it would work both ways. Yeah. I can see pros and cons. Um, but if this works, so the the thought process behind it and the reason I'm trying it is um, currently I fit my locks on a, like a two inch wheel on a two by 72 grinder with a angle, basically like an adjustable plate and slide. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think that because they're fit with a belt, I just think belts leave like more margin for error. If you're trying to create a precision fit, a belt is not like the number one solution unless it's in constant movement. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because of the way that the abrasives wear. So I think that if I can mill it, I can create a really 
yeah. like airtight lock. We'll see. No, that, that'd be sweet. You, yeah. you could put a servo going back and forth on your tracking wheel. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because a lot of times when I'm doing it by hand, I'll actually do my tracking wheel and I'll move yeah. it just so there's a small amount of, yeah. of um, like, like a X surface travel. Grinder. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. a surface grinder. Yeah, that's cool. So, I'm excited I'm to see how that turns out, yeah. hard milling and stuff. Hard milling, yeah. it's scary, but it's actually more approachable than it seems. The, right. the few times I've done it, if you hold it, hold the work well and you have a right. stout machine, it works. Yeah. It's, it's not the end of the world. This is my first foray into it and it's manual and it's kind of funny, but I'm like, yeah. it's such a small part. I'm cutting a, you know, a three eighths skimming length it. on Yeah. Just skimming it. Small, small passes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just wear safety but, glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> lots of carbide. Um, okay. I'm going to ask this because you're still, you're like learning style mm-hmm. and now working with style like pretty heavily. So still happy. Oh yeah, dude. It's, really really accurate like yeah re- scary scary accurate and also the pearson is proving to be very accurate as well but i mean again i think i mentioned it before but I, I'll, I'll recheck my work offset with the pro with the Heimer. it's like the maximum differential between two work offsets including the pearson being on there that i've ever seen is like three tenths yep and that's with thermal all over the place that's taking the pallet off, putting it back on. That's, that's like just all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's so much going on in my shop thermally because it's like it's just a small shop and that machine with the phase converter heats it up. It'll it'll swing like 30 degrees in a, in a day easy inside that shop and it's just not moving. And it just is shocking because where it would get me with an iron Tormach machine and like I said, not knocking Tormach or Haas or any machine, just iron is that with the temperature swings in my shop, what, where it really gets you is chamfers because I chamfer both sides of the blade and chamfers are really easy to notice when there's not, not the same on each side. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it going from one side to the other, if the work offset moves, then the chamfers move and you see it. And so I was always like fine tuning, like moving few tenths, few tenths. It was almost every like third, fourth knife, just kind of trying to chase it. Oh wow! And and now it's just like it's there. It just you're, is. You're good. It's repeatable. I wonder so. if that's like a an argument specifically for small shops. Because mm-hmm. I'm in the I'm in the same boat. Like my CNC is in a room that's probably 800 square feet. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm if I run it for a day, like my shop gets warmer. Yeah. If you're in a big warehouse with tall ceilings, you're going to see less of like an overall temperature change. So I wonder if like small machine, granite base, small space is like an, like a big added value. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you plan on not heating the shop for like a weekend, you know what I mean? Or like a, let's say you're, you know, part time enough where it's possible you'll go on vacation and it'll drop in temperature to like even winter temperatures in the garage, like an iron casting, it's not necessarily going to damage it. Right. But it's, it's going to move like huge amounts. Like the style have like a cold, like, will it tell you if you like the Haas, you fire it up and it's like, Oh, the machine's cold. Like you warm up. I always do a spindle warm up, but it doesn't say it doesn't have it. I don't think as a a sensor that I'm aware of. Right. But I do always spindle warm up is critical, man. It's does it have important. a spindle warm up program? Uh, no, but it has. It, it has. It came with a sticker on the front of the spindle that had their recommendations oh, just cool. written out, and I basically wrote that into a G code so I could just run that in the morning. Um, nice. And they break it down like if you haven't ran it in a week, this is a, the warm up. If you've only ran it, 
yesterday. This is the warm up, et cetera. Huh. So, but it's, I think the, the consequences of not warming it up is even harsher on this spindle because the ball bearings in it, I, I hear are ceramic, whereas right. a, a lot of them have iron ball bearings and it's that ceramic is sensitive. I think it's like, right. it needs to be warm before you load it. The, the iron races and stuff. Yeah. And the only ding I have against the style so far that's weird is it's a high RPM spindle, like 12,000. And when you get in the higher RPMs, it's not loud, but it's got a really high frequency pitch Ooh, uh-huh. to that sound. And it sounds like a turbine. If, if you can picture like a jet yeah, it's engine, almost like a, dub- like a like double a, noise. It's like a whistle of like a yeah. turbo. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure if I was going to take the cover off of the spindle because I've not looked in there. I'm wondering if it's got an air, like a fan that is cooling it, that is making that sound. Because it, when I start the Tormach up, it'll go up to 10,000 and I'll run to 10,000. And if I run this thing at 10,000, it's a lot higher pitch. And it's not like a scream, but it's like much more noticeable. You're not used to it. It's funny how much like how much sound plays into everything we do, yeah. whether that's like hand grinding a blade or running a CNC machine, like little cues in the sound are like, yeah. oh, ooh, something's wrong. Like yeah. could be the part, could be the spindle, could be whatever it is. Like, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I can't, it doesn't sound like it's wrong. It, it sounds smooth, but it, right. it's just a really high frequency. You, and you haven't asked about it yet. I haven't yet. I was, yeah. I was thinking about it. I could ask even just on the group, like, is this the way yours sounds too? Yeah. Kind of thing. It's probably not something you could like capture yeah. in audio really. No, good, cause it, I'll even turn my head and not be able to hear it. And then I'll move my head in the right spot and it'll just hit me. Cause it's <laughs> such a high frequency that it's very like directional, I guess. But it's it's not like painful to the ears, but it's just it's wit it's more annoying for sure right. than the Tormach. Interesting. So the I finally got my like casers up and running and everything. And they're they're rotary screw compressors, they're they're supposed to be pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. So this one is super quiet. My last one had this secondary noise. Mm-hmm. I had asked them about it and they were like, no, no, that's like what it sounds like. This machine does it for like a second when it starts up and then it levels out it drove me nuts hmm. on my last one because I was like, there was something about like the quality of the sound where I was like, my brain was just saying like, there's something mechanically like out of balance or that's like a fan blade or like something weird. Like, why is there this like higher pitched, like secondary noise mm-hmm. when the tech was here? I was like, I asked him about it and he's like, some of the machines that they're tuned differently. And he's like, they can actually sound completely different. And I was like, that is hmm wild i don't yeah. know if that's like how accurate that is or anything interesting else, but. when you're dealing with rpm i mean high rpm there's a reason balancing and stable stability yeah. at high rpm is such a big science is that sound frequency but the nice thing is like running the overland i never get to that rpm range so it, i don't hear it at all when i'm running what are you what's your max rpm on the overland uh probably seven thousand. Oh, wow. Um, so it's just when you're doing stainless steel, you don't want crazy high RPM because right. you, you get rubbing. Right. But with aluminum like and with small kind of, right? small tools, I, I, I moved my engraving. I do my logo and I write the steel on the on the Overland. I was doing it on the engraving it with the Tormach, but I decided to laser engrave that instead, like deep etch it. 
And so that was the only thing that would have used like 11,000 RPM. And I, right. I, not for that reason, but I decided to ditch that on the CNC side. You're going to use um, it like crazy when you're building folders. That, oh that's yeah, all. Like, sure. I mean, I'm running small like, diameter tools. Yeah. I do like, I do jimping with like a 32nd end mill. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> do you not drill? I do. Yeah. For those I do actually drill. Um, yeah. so let's see what it, I guess I do. So it's a, yeah. 30 second drill mm-hmm. on that argument still holds yeah. speed. Um, yeah. and like pack drilling. And then I guess like maybe some of my lock slots, you know, 40,000, mm-hmm. 40, 40, like 46,000. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like That's that. where it really like kick nice in. Small. So. If you're yeah. Laterally milling, like yeah. slot milling. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. For sure. Like 16th of an inch is pretty common. Um, yeah, ninety three thousand. It's like around yeah. so just a lot of small tools. Yeah. So I guess I get yeah. I'll circle back. That's the only ding I've noticed at all is if you're going to run it at eleven thousand RPM, it's it's a little whiny. It's a little little. Ooh, nobody likes a whiner. Yeah. So <laughs> I was going to take it off and see because it doesn't sound like it's inside of a metal like cartridge. That sound. It's Ooh, it almost makes me wonder if it's the motor. You know what I mean? Because there's, it doesn't, it sounds like it's not covered by steel. You know what I mean? It sounds very like external. So it's like, it is either, either it's like the pulley or cause there's a belt drive. It's either like the pulley or it's the motor, but it's not like curious. You should just reach out and ask them. That's like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're still, I'm like, still I'm watching. I'm just so, I'm so hesitant because I'm a slow learner and I know my hoss. It's like figuring out new things is scary sometimes yeah. know that it took me a minute to figure this one out but it having at least some machining experience was really beneficial and yeah once once i got it it's interesting out, it was... in inside of the style not to like make this the style show but like inside of the style group it seems like everybody's a machinist yeah I like think for so. the most part yeah. like the way that they like the things that they're talking about the questions they have and the way that they're programming parts everybody just seems like a fairly accomplished mm-hmm machinist yeah yeah it seems like it for sure right yeah i would agree and they're buying yeah. style so that's kind of interesting yeah no it's I'm excited I'm, i can't complain it's i'm coming up on like i don't know 70 80 hours of spindle time on it and not a single r- issue i mean nice. no the control hasn't even shown a speck of a glitch at all and the other thing is uh, this is it's hard to say on Haas and other machines, older machines, I don't know, but on the Pathpilot, which controls Tormach, which I love Pathpilot for its user interface, it did have a hard time reading a lot of line of, a lot of lines of codes fast in terms uh-huh. of catching up with that. So, like on a Haas, they can you can get like look ahead on it. You've probably heard right. is that the high speed uh, high speed machine? Yeah. yeah. So I don't know what this control the of the style the Syntec controller. I don't know what it has for look ahead, but it must be pretty good. Because on the Tormach, I was running 100 inches a minute on this bevel pass to do the, the step over for the for the bevel. And 100 inches a minute was the max I could get before it would start to stutter because of the the, the lag in the computer side. Um, and so on this, on this machine, I cranked it up to 150 and it's perfectly smooth. And I don't know what the limit is, wow. but it's 150 inches a minute on this bevel. And it's moving. I mean, it's going 150 inches a minute and then 1200 back and it's not stuttering at all. And the bevel's not showing any stuttering. And so whatever that look ahead 
whatever that limitation is, is not as bad as the path pilot. It's pretty cool. And that so, is not an additional paid for feature, but I don't know if it, I don't, I need to look at like the sales information or like the brochure on that control or the manual. Cause I don't know if it's like, if it does have look ahead or if it's just that good at processing code that it doesn't do. I don't know, but it is better for sure. Than the so many questions, but I don't right. know how it compares to like a, like a new Haas without the right. look ahead. How does it compare? I don't know. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm going to get to check out your machine soon, which is mm-hmm. pretty exciting in person. Yeah. Um, yeah. that like brings us something that's kind of exciting coming up. Uh, I'm going to drive out, visit you and we're going to shoot straight through to blade show West. Mm-hmm. The first okay. blade show West in salt Lake city. Yes, sir. I can't wait, man. Yeah, me too. It's gonna be fun. A little road trip. Yeah. It'll be it'll be your first time in my shop. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And you'll be the the second knife maker to tour tour my shop behind. Oh, that's crazy. Richard Rogers. Oh man. And Two shout out Mexicans to Richard Rogers. <laughs> he visited. Him and Sally visited, and dude, he sent us a custom executive, like a custom this his custom version of the CEO. And we're over the moon about that. So thank you, Richard and Sally. You guys are the best. Get his his gold. Yeah. So so I'll be, I'll be awesome to have you, have you in there too. It'll be fun. And I'm not sending you a knife. Oh dude, I already have one of your (laughs) customs, so you don't have to. Yeah. So, okay. So blade show West. Let's forecast it, man. I have some thoughts on this. I'm, I'm disproportionately excited about it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. In a good I want to hear, like I want to, yeah, I want to hear, yeah. I want to hear what you think, like just overall, like there's going to be a blade show and it's going to be what? Five hours from you. Yeah. Ballpark. Okay. About five ish. What do you think? Success. Do you think it's like good idea? So, I am I'm absolutely amazed. Not amazed. I'm happy that they moved it to Salt Lake. It if people didn't know it was in Portland, like what, 10 years ago, they, yeah. they quit doing it period for like five yeah. years or for something. A while. And then they brought it back to Portland for two years, did okay. They took it to California for one year and it was in the middle of COVID in Long Beach. I don't know how that did, but it was in the worst of times with the whole yeah. COVID thing. And then now they're going to Salt Lake and it's the best of those in my opinion. Yeah. For me, just a, you know, for me being greedy and wanting it close to me. It's nice to have it in Salt Lake. But also I think the Salt Lake town is going to be awesome for hosting an event like that because dude, they hosted the Olympics, right? Like they can host a lot of people. They have a great airport. They have great hotels that are affordable. You can get a hotel right next to the center. I mean, it's just, it has what you need. Um, For specifically for a show of a blade show size, the other blade shows, they're, they're smaller shows, right? Like the Wests are always smaller. Mm-hmm. I actually see the potential for this to be a larger and very valuable show. I just think it's like, it's just the ease. Like it fits in, it fits culturally. It's a good fit. Mm-hmm. It's an easy city to get into. If you're on the West coast, there's flights mm-hmm. to it from everywhere. Um, also, I mean, in the United States, as far as like cutlery hubs, you kind of have Portland and Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, Idaho is probably, and it's probably like fairly tight in like, is it safe to say that like knife industry in Idaho is primarily Boise? 
Yeah, that and it also and surrounding. Buck, buck Buck Knives, which is north, way north. Yeah, which is which is north, right? Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I just think like I think all the pieces are in place. Um, going to Salt Lake in the fall, it's like good time to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good city. Like big shows like this, I think more people are more prone to like travel with their families, and I just like the idea that you can go to a show make it a family vacation, like yeah. split off for a day or two or whatever, and then like still have something on the tail end. So mm-hmm. I am very, very curious to see how it does, but I think you know there's the guys a lot at, of potential. You know, the guys at Blade HQ are down there just like yeah. stoked. They're so happy right now. Yeah. I'm that's sure. not even to mention like Blade HQ yeah. is like smack dab. And they're in so, Salt Lake. If yep. you didn't know. Yeah. So yeah, man, I'm very, very curious. Um, I'm, I'm super excited. I got asked to sit on an expert panel. Um, nice. basically to like people can bring in their knives to like a small group and have them critiqued. That's awesome. So if you're listening to this, I'm not going to be easy. Yeah. Start We're talking about talking about it before this. He's going to yeah. bring a bull whip. Yeah. Yeah. A hammer and a, a 18 inch ruler to slap yeah. your wrist. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited. I mean, really it, this is the kind of stuff like we've, we've kind of talked about shows in the past, but like these little community elements of it that just make it so much fun like i get to sit up and hang out with some other makers and and look at like new makers that's gonna knives. be fun that's rad yeah Eat some yeah so if, if any of you guys are going to salt lake look us up and yeah. we'll be both on foot we're losers and we don't have tables so yeah you just we're have just, to have to snag roaming. us by their, our shirt when we go by yeah. i guess <laughs> yeah this show is just this is like what we did for blade show atlanta just going to hang out walk and and visit people mm-hmm. That's going to be a good time. And, and for me, it's, it's nice too, because I, I always haven't done it yet, but I have the dream of linking these shows up with some sort of outdoors expedition. Like I've always talked about doing that with shot show, which is in Vegas, driving down, you know, off-roading the Jeep on the way down and doing that on the way back. And there isn't a better place than Utah for the, for the overland Jeep life. And so I'm not this year, but I'm thinking, it's going to have to turn into a bigger picture thing. Like maybe we get the blade HQ go guys on board and hit the Moab Dude. scene. Do you, you do it thing. before or after do you like walk into blade show and like smack the dust off yourself? Right. You just got off the trail. It's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> Give some street cred. I don't know. I kind of like it. it. I know. Right? Throw your, throw your hard case of overlands onto the table. and like, yeah, I think, I think it sounds amazing. I think if, <laughs> If the Overland box had actual dirt on it, like you said, like some right. Moab red dirt, like uh, here, yeah. let me wipe this down. Yeah, the makers here's the, next here's the Overland knives. Yeah. yeah, crack it. That's yeah. you can't buy that kind of authenticity. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's strapped to my roof rack. Yeah, it's perfect. Crash through the wall. Yeah, right. Um, I, okay, so that means you're gonna do a show. You want to do a mm-hmm. show? Do you have a Do you have it's like coming. a tempo on it yet? Like what's the first show? I I keep looking at the next show and thinking like, all right, I'm going to start to get ready for this, but I keep not getting ahead on knives that I already have on order. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, that's my thing. And so it's like, I wouldn't go to a show if I had a whole lot of people that have orders in with me that I haven't sure. fulfilled, but I can say this current I'm, I'm, as I talked about on the last podcast, I'm swelling my output enough to meet and exceed demand, which should pave the way for the show that's the whole goal so 2023 i think that looks like a real possibility so i'm doing those things required to get there and it'll happen when it happens and i think it'll be fun really fun yeah. 
Nice. Blade West might be a good one for you. I mean, just just mm-hmm. overall, like easy can drive there. Yeah. And have, have like your take, like a ton of product. Yeah. And your booth. I mean, like you yeah. always think about if I go to Atlanta and I want to have it, even if it's a table, if I want to have even a little bit of stuff like a sign and stuff. I mean, there's a little bit of a issue with getting that across. It's so hard. Miles. We always rented a minivan and went to Ikea and would like build out a booth from yeah. like Ikea and banners. And mm-hmm. like, and that was with, like two or three people with me. I was thinking someone needs to start a business with like if they had a a back, you know, a barn in the back of their place in Atlanta and just say, hey, everyone at Blade Show, I'll store your crap for a few hundred bucks for the year or something like that. True story. Someone used to do that. Yeah. Yep. Smart. Um, A buddy of mine um, had a company called Going Gear that was there. And Mm. I think there was a few makers that he would stash there. Hmm. their show setups. So we've been using, we've been using like a three PL, right? Um, third party logistics for a shipping. Mm-hmm. They actually will ship our trade show supplies. I've never done that, but mm-hmm. like I could have a pallet wrap the pallet. They'll send it. It goes, it gets like dropped off on the blade show floor at my booth. You build your, build your booth up. You've done shot show before. I mean, that's like, if you haven't done a trade show, it's like amazing to see how fast like the the efficiency of like the infrastructure works by the time blade shows over they're basically ri- like you're on un- you're like loading your booth up trying to get out the door and they're rolling carpets up mm-hmm. because they're starting a new show the next day it's insane it's wild so yeah so like in this case like we would have our pallet gets dropped off you build your booth they the show's over you pat repack the pallet leave it on the floor and it shows up back at home pretty cool that'd be awesome i know that would that would make me even more interested in doing it i might have to I look know. up the third party <laughs> logistics in boise I'm sure there's one here guaranteed you have one yeah, yeah. guaranteed i think so so yeah, i think I'll, with the I'll numbers that you're doing you're really close to just like it just yeah. making sense yeah it's yeah i'm at delegation you know it's a big thing i'm gonna have to continue to exercise that so yep. Little side tangent. Have you ever considered yeah. going to IMTS? So many times since I was like seventeen. It's the the it's the shot show of CNC machines yes. and manufacturing every, in everything general. manufacturing. So yeah. tumbling robots, welding robots, yeah. Tony automation Stark would definitely be there. And it's in Vegas, and I like going to Vegas. For Wait, is shows. it in Vegas? I thought it was in Chicago. Uh, well, now I'm thinking I might be mistaken, but. Someone told me that there was, maybe it's a second one. Maybe it's IMTS West. I actually don't know. I'm I'm, going to Google it. Yeah, there's something in Vegas. It might not be the IMTS. But I just thought of IMTS when you said, imagine breaking down a show. I'm like, imagine breaking down a show where you had a 25,000 pound CNC machine filled with coolant. Like that, I can't even, wow. Yeah, um, it's Chicago. Chicago. So wh- I wonder yeah. what's in Vegas. I guess we don't, don't have know. to go too far into that we'll tangent. That there's Vegas something in Vegas. I don't know. Yeah. I got, I heard about IMTS. I was working at that place, Cinequinon, which made titanium body jewelry. And some of the machinists from there had gone. Hmm. I just started, so I didn't get to go and I was bummed. Hmm. But Someday I'll get there. Be fun. Yeah. That might be, that might be like a good road trip. Yeah. Slash just fly in and eat and do IMTS for the weekend. I don't know. We, yeah. Chicago's way off the right. I've never been anywhere, anywhere near that part of the country. So. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. Not even, cool. not even close, man. I've, 
I've been all over the West Coast, but the only Eastern place I've been to is Florida and Georgia. So I've been, I haven't been anywhere Northeast. Oh, wow. Yeah, you got to yeah. do that. Um, I don't know. It just popped into my head. A friend of mine just recently sent a picture from a steakhouse in Chicago mm. that uses um, Quiken. I mean, like years ago, I designed a Quiken steak knife for Boker. Uh, yeah, I remember that. And so they actually have the Quiken steak knives as their table knives. Oh, uh, yeah. And Somebody's that's got super good exciting. I didn't know. I, I didn't know that there was any restaurants that had them. Yeah, well, now you do. Um, so, yeah. So that's on the checklist for Chicago. Yeah. Oh, it looks like they have good steak. So, yeah. Oh, man. Sounds good. Nice, man. So, what is uh, what is your week looking like next week? You, uh, the rest of this week and next week? Basically, this week, like, we're, I'm kind of tailing it out. Um, I'm trying to get to a good stopping point on the Quikens. Um, I've had like a bunch, I'm still doing this, like the maker manager thing. Um, and it's proving to be super helpful. So like yesterday was my hustle day. Um, so had a bunch of meetings, um, set up a new, a new project with my buddies over at Paladin. Um, and yeah, today is back. I'm back in the shop. So basically trying to like wrap up the Quikens, get them to a good stopping point. Next week, we're actually going down to New Mexico to see my dad for a couple nice. of days. Albuquerque. And then, yeah, Albuquerque. Mm. See friends. Uh, so man, it's so hard. Like this work and like family stuff. It's like so hard to figure out times to like do these trips, you know. Um, so this was like the one time. So I get back the day before you and I leave for shot show. Mm. Some blade show. Um and then we'll so I'm gonna be driving a lot because we decided to drive. Oh, that'd be cool. So I'm gonna drive to Salt Lake. Albuquerque twice in three days. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I so know. You, wow. It's like yeah, an eight, a, it's it's like 18 hours to Albuquerque. We we were just looking at it and like I had actually bought flights, but just like the timing was crummy and like layovers were crummy. I was like, why are we why are we doing this? Like just do a road trip. So so it's a bit of a tangent, but I'm getting really excited for this. It's a hunting trip I'm putting together oh, with my dad. Nice. So my grandpa worked on a ranch near salmon where I grew up in Idaho that was like tucked away. It's surrounded completely by public land and it's like on the side of a mountain and it's this beef ranch that was just like, I don't know, four, three, four, 500 acres, not massive. And he worked on it and he passed away a year ago or last year, basically. And there was a lake that was off near the ranch that he had talked about like for decades that no one had ever seen literally like nobody that was at the ranch only that the only reason people had heard about it is like through like old wives tales and stuff that there was this lake and oh, wow yeah and so after he passed my dad was thinking like you know what i'm gonna go find that lake you know it kind of like spurred him and so he went and found it and it, there was no sign of like human activity at this lake and it's just this small you know few acre size lake that's like there's no trail to it and we my grandpa's name was Bernie and we made a sign that says like Bernie's Lake and we I I haven't made it up there yet but my dad and uncle went up there and put a post in and put a sign on it, it says Bernie's Lake and we're going to go put a wall tent on that lake and we're going to hunt out of it for mule deer in October. Oh man, that sounds and amazing. So we're going to you know put the uh, wall tent in my dad's big time horseman he's got mule stock and horse stock so we're going to take it in there and spend a few days. I'm in, I haven't been to the lake yet, so I'm like so excited. It's going to be fun. The fact that that stuff even exists, like yeah. 
untouched, at least visibly, you know, what happened was there was, there used to be a road cut into it like 80 years ago, 70 years ago. And a fire came through a long time ago and it burned up and all the deadfall covered the road. And then everything grew back and covered the road and no one ever recut it. And so it became like surrounded by timber to where, and there it's the new growth from after the fire. So they're like so close together that you, you can't like walk through very well. And so my dad had to kind of find a route to it that made sense. And it's, it wasn't even on what used to be the road. And so it's, it used to be trafficked, but it could, it could be like, until when uh, we don't know, I I, I could ask him, but it could be like a generation ago. I'm not sure. You know what I mean? So a few generations, I don't know, but it's hard to say when like the last, and there was fish in it that you could see them rising and stuff. So, oh man, yeah, have a good trip. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm getting excited. I guess we'll start with some upland. Yeah. Do some upland bird hunting. Yeah. Get some upland birds. So it's fun. Yeah, man. So what about you? What, so this week, okay, you're on Overland's and how are you doing it right now? Are you like working, are you working batches or are you just kind of like working open-ended? I'm always curious about that. I got, I got to work batches because of heat treat. Yep. I, I, I would love to have, cause one piece flow I'm a big fan of, or at least close to it, like small batch, but without heat treat, it's just, you can't do it. It's not a real possibility. And I just don't think I'll bring heat treat in for a long time because it's, I don't have space and whatever, but so I'm doing a big batch right now, a pretty dang big batch. And then what I'm trying to do is everything else do pretty small batch. So I kind of am forced into big batch on the tangs, but the handles, the sheaths, pretty small, like, you know, lean manufacturing style, just like build it just in time. Yeah. So, but the, I've got for overlands, like right now what I'm machining, I've got like 180 of them to machine right now. So that's what this next push will be is a pretty good hard. So push. theoretically, how much time is that for you? Like, what do you see that being? So it's weeks? if it is, if it's, let's say it's 40 minutes per, if you count changeover, which is sounding realistic, that's probably 10 a day. Um, depending on if I run it after I leave the shop, like one more, you know? Right. So, I mean, yeah, definitely three weeks plus. Nice. And but, are you running both spindles right now? Yeah. And okay, that's so you're the other one's running or, handles. Yep. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to split it into two batches off to heat treat just because that's I want to have idea. that first batch come back yep. before Stank. having to do all of them. So it's going to get divided at one point. So I, I'm not sure when that'll happen. I'll, it, it, since I'm dividing into two, it doesn't have to be exactly even 50, 50. I might do like 50 knives and then peel it off. Um, just to verify a lot of this new stuff that's happened going through heat treat. Like I've found that big batches, if you've done changes to something, yep. even if you're hundred percent confident, just be a little weary about. I just it. like running. I like running smaller numbers. I think like what you're doing, splitting it. I just think it makes so much more sense because yeah. then you're staggering your workflow. You'll be able to get yeah. to work on those blades faster yeah. and you won't make it through that first round before the second batch comes back from heat mm. treat just yeah. makes sense. And the the other thing is I've got those scalpels that I made, that big batch of scalpels. They're they're done at heat treat. I got the call today. Nice. So what I'm going to do is I told them it would be a couple of days. I'm going to machine a few more overlands so that I can do it's about an hour drive to go to the heat treater. So I'm going to go take him this smaller peel off batch of the overlands and get those scalpels. And then that'll be what I'll be doing while the overlands are running is 
actually finishing those scalpels. Right. Perfect. So that's that's what the handwork looks like in front of me right now. So one machine doing handles, one machine doing overlands, me finishing scalpels. Finishing. That's what that's what that those two or three weeks looks like right now. That's perfect. Leading up to Blade Show. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, so you had sent me um you'd sent me a video from Pearson. I forget what the designation was. It was like IS three or something. It was like their their cleaning process. I did. Basically, yeah, it basically it was like they, they clean at the end of the or they clean in the beginning of the day. So they clean in oh. the morning and then basically like this is crap because I can't actually remember like what the the their verbiage was. But essentially they like they, they clean, organize and then like get rid of. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, oh, you find like five Allen wrenches that came with tools that you don't need. They're just in there. It's not stuff you paid for. Like get rid of mm-hmm. them. I was thinking about that as like almost like a design flow. So mm-hmm. right now I'm working on the five Quikens and the goal is to, before I run the next five Quikens, I would go through and I would make a round of design changes in at the outset. I was kind of thinking, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll finish the knives and then automatically make the changes. Mm, there you go. As I was watching that video, I was like, huh, I wonder if it makes sense as opposed to being like, man, I'm done. Like you're done with them. It's like the end of the day, almost the end of a job instead of going into that spot because you're kind of done creatively and like mentally, I think, as opposed to that, like next time I, I make Quikens, it would be the job starts with making those design updates. Mm. And then you go directly into the manufacturing yeah. of them. Yeah. And I like that better. It gives you a little spark to start things out too. Exactly. It gives you like a, like a, like a runway. Cause you look at all your processes and you're like, okay, cool. Well, I know I need to change like my backspacer thickness and blade thickness. It just seems much more streamlined than doing it at the tail end. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No. Also, yeah, because if you're at the logical. tail end, you would only be making the changes, but not be implementing them. Yeah. And that seems weird. So kind of a fun, yeah. like link from something that like was that. basically like, you know, unrelated toolbox in the morning. Parallel. Yeah. That's smart. So no, that makes total sense. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out like what the next, the goal is to move through knives and like, so the next time I might do like run of tunas and just like mm-hmm. kind of updating until I get to the point where I'm doing something completely new. Right. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to that next question of like, when are you doing the new model? I was actually just thinking about that. So let's talk about to answer that. I'll, I'll raise you this. What is your goal? and my goal for this next week before the next Ooh. podcast because my goal involves that. Yeah, my goal doesn't because I'm gone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? Well, I guess so I be you don't have to have a goal. Yeah, safe travels. That's all I want. Yeah, safe travels. That's fair yeah. enough. So I'm, I'm, I designed the new knife to 99% and okay. I'm making like two more tweaks and it should be ready. I have a 3D print that I'm like 99% happy with. I'm going to do the final touches and my goal by next week when we record is to machine one handle scale for that knife because I don't need a fixture to do it. Right. I can, I can machine it out of a block and I will build a fixture later. But the way that I got my juices flowing on the Overland is I had all the 3d prints and the models, but when I machined the first, my car to handle to the Overland that like lit my fire. And wow. I know if, if I have one handle scale to look at from this new knife, I'm going to want the tank like, and I'm going to want it now kind of thing. And so I want to have it in my hand as like a little, uh, little motivational tool of like, you've already got the handle. Let's Make do the it. Rest. 
super interesting, I would start with the Tang. Like my brain would just make, I think that is actually a function of like my hand making background. Mm. Cause it just makes more sense. Like I would make, I would, I would create the profile of the knife before I made any of the other parts. Right. You would start with a handle scale. The only reason I'd start with a handle scale is because it requires the least setup to do. Makes perfect and, sense. And so it's like the it's the lowest hanging fruit of the whole project. And that being said, like I said, I will have to build the the production fixture for it. Yeah. But like the Overland, I made the first big a number of them without a production fixture. You can't do that with a tang. You have to have you have to have a production fixture to do the tangs the way I do it. So I won't be able to make a over a fix a tang for right. the new knife without. Yeah. You'd have to basically fixture. just, you'd have to just like cut it and leave tabs and then you wouldn't have your chamfer. So yeah, yeah. your process, it makes like perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. Pretty exciting, so, man. I, I already have, I think I mentioned this. I already have the steel coming. So I just got to order another Pearson palette. This palette worked so well that I'm going to copy paste all of my techniques, which should be really good. You know, yep. it should, should work. Our, that was one of the things I was waiting for is like, if this palette works, then all of the fixture hardware, all of the, the strategies will copy over, yep. which should make it to get that one live as far as, cause I'll have the bevel recipe. I'll have all these recipes for all the tooling. I can yep. copy paste all of the things and then just reassociate it with the new geometry. Yep. And I have a new fixture. Don't solve new, the same problem knife. twice. Exactly. And so that's, that's where I'm headed. So the tang won't take much, but the reason I can't jump the gun on that is I still have to have a water jet and surface ground. So I don't have to, I could use a piece of bar stock, but might as well. I mean, I'll just pretty cool, man. You just got my brain firing. So I'm like thinking like, Oh, what do I, what do I, it's like actually going on in the shop? So like my brain has been focused on soft goods lately. I've been having a really good time. So we had done that. We'd done that pouch called the ODC, which was organized mm-hmm. daily carry obsessive daily carry. Um, that rolled in. So it's like, it's just, it's funny how your brain works. Like when you're in, I feel like a design process, I'm not a soft goods designer. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it, but in this last like two month stretch, we've basically, so I'm working on a, like a belt, a, a chest, like a crossbody chest bag. Like a, mm-hmm. I call it a dad bag. So it's basically, it's like, a satchel. It's a satchel <laughs> that you wear across your chest. Um, <laughs> Kind of like combo snack carry slash concealed carry bag, like super low pro. Man, I've just been having so much fun with it. Um, yeah, going full so Louis Vuitton. Yeah, it's just like I don't know. It it's nice to break away from knives sometimes and like put mm-hmm. your put your brain on solving a different type of problem. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, like it's crazy. There's always so much going on. It's like. But I focus, it's always like in my head, the only thing that is relevant is knives somehow. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we've got a batch of titanium Cypops going on. Um, it's funny, I finished, so I finished my surface grinder and the airlines, right? Those two things, I finished them and I felt like a huge weight had been lifted. It was, it's like nesting. Like if you're a maker, like not having certain tools in place makes your house feel out of order. Mm, yeah. It's so yeah. weird. No, I'm I'm in the same boat, dude. It's the if there's something disturbing your piece, yep, it derails you. Yeah, it's crazy, and it doesn't even do it in like an obvious way. Sometimes, like I hadn't been sketching, and I noticed I like finished this, and like one day I was just like, man, I like feel like sketching. 
I don't know that that's the cause, but in the back of my head, I'm like, there was this, this thing that was undone in my shop. Now I have, basically I'm at the point where my last two shops were at when I left them of functionality. Mm -hmm. So the right amount of air and a surface grinder, which like doesn't seem like that much, but just like when you have a workflow over years and years and years, you have one piece missing and you're like, this is weird. Mm, So yeah. Yeah. Feels good. That's awesome. I'm I'm happy to hear that. I want to see your shop too. So you'll see mine before I see yours. I saw your Albuquerque shop, but I'm going to, I'm going to have to. So my, brother-in-law and sister-in-law are moving to Oregon. Oh, really? It's, they're so su- yeah. So su- South central Oregon, like near the California border, right in the middle of the state. Oh, cool. Um, and so it's good we'll reason to drive that, through. Yeah. We'll be in that neck of the woods more often too. I think nice. so. Would you come through bend? Or no, you, no, you probably know, but you probably it, drop it burns or something. Yeah. But it would make a loop. It would, yeah. it would make a nice little circle. So nice. We'll have man. To do that. That's exciting. I look forward yeah. to talking about that more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. This was kind of a random show. Do we just call it yeah. this one? You, when I, when I jumped on, you were so excited <laughs> about the bevels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, and, and just watching that new machine run, man, it's like, oh, it just feels good. Cause yeah, it's just I like, it feels like a pyramid of tasks, you know, yeah. to, when you, when you try to install a machine like that, like you get, it's like every corner there's a snag and it's yep. not like issues. It's just, oh yeah, I forgot I'm gonna need to run air. Oh yeah, I forgot yeah. the power. Oh yeah, I forgot the T slot nuts are metric. Oh yeah, I forgot, yep. you know, and it's like it just stacks. And so when you're finally executing on the thing that you wanted, you know, six weeks later, it just it's like finally you're there. You cross the finish line. And it's it's a good feeling. Funny, that's the exact that's the exact process for the surface grinder. It was mm-hmm. like nothing I could do was the last job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Feels yeah. good, man. You did good. You got that done fast. You got the machine up and running. So from the time it hit hit your house to when you were running, what was that total time? To running the scalpel? Might have been like two and a half weeks, two weeks. Yeah, man. That's something insane. like that. I think when I got my house, it sat in my shop for six months. Yeah. Well, the, the Tormach was a little bit that way. I mean, I got it plugged in and running, but yeah. I didn't do anything of any real value for quite a month, a few months, just because yeah. it's like you're drinking through a fire hose because you're like, what's cam? How do I, yeah. how do I drill a hole? You know, like <laughs> what is, and like, how deep do I feed this end mill? Oh, not that deep. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Cool, man. So, you want to call it and yeah. pick up yeah. next time? Yeah, appreciate you guys. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. And definitely lead us leave us some feedback. Yeah. Shoot it shoot us DMs. Ask questions. Share this with a friend. Yeah. Give us input. They may or may not hate it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And if you hate it, tell us too. Yeah. Share it with an enemy. I w- probably won't care that you hate it, but <laughs> be curious. Listen. Yeah. All right. See you guys around. Yeah. All right. See ya.